The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, verse 16 through 20. We're going to the last verse, 20 is my emphasis verse as I begin to do this. Now, through the years, I have been requested, the first time I preached a sermon by the title that of the title of the day, Miracle Space, was in 1995. I preached part two to that, which means I took another portion of Scripture and, and used it. And so it was a different message, but of the same title, Miracle Space, was in 1999. I also, one more time, uh, did another part to it, and, and that was part 2B. It's getting complicated, isn't it? And uh, I preached that in, I don't know, sometime in the 2000s. And then to, today, I got moved again, and, and I get requested for this. Uh, to This is part 3 <laughs> of Miracle Space. God came to me in 1995 on this and really just through two words explained why he was doing what he was doing in my life. When I first took the senior pastor, I'd been here 11 and a half years and helped start the church with a group of young oh, 29 folks together in 1980. Worked as assistant pastor under a wonderful man, O'Harry McKinney. Loved him. He was, a, he was a bartender that got saved, an Irishman, a Marine. What a combination. Bartender, Irishman, Marine. By my brother. That's something else. But he got, a, he got a dose of salvation. He was born from above. It was a wonderful thing. He was, he was an old man when he came here. He, I, I was a young man, 28 years old. He was 60. So he was an old man, and I got to work under him and learn from him as much as he could teach me. And as hard-headed as I was for the 11 and a half, 12 years, he left here. We began to get some signs of Alzheimer's. Oh, somewhere around 72 years old. And by the way, at 80, he died of Alzheimer's, got to go to heaven. And so God bless him. He's in heaven. Look forward to seeing him again. Well, God uh, allowed me to be the senior pastor after these folks knew me for 12 years. They had no excuse and voted for me. And um, I immediately began to get afflicted. I got afflicted with migraines shortly after that, uh, debilitating at the beginning especially. And then I got afflicted with uh, polycythemia, which is a serious thing. Then I got afflicted with uh, gout, which is uh, gout will kind of give you a whole new respect for pain. And those three things for 20 years uh, were my daily companions. And uh, they taught me something. In 1995, as I was suffering through some of the worst of that, uh, God gave me this message. And I, though the verses are different, illustrations may be different, there's no doubt the lesson is the same. And I hope I can somehow, through this and the web and other places, uh, give to you what I receive and how God explained to me why he works. And in Romans chapter 4, the fabulous uh, chapter there in verse 16, it says, Therefore it is of faith. In other words, why does God work in the area of faith? 
And why does he not work in the area of works? Well, it says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Salvation is by faith through the unmerited favor of God. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, which is the father of us all. You know Abraham, about 2166 B.C., the law came around 1446 B.C., so Abraham is pre-law, no doubt. But Abraham, the Bible says, was justified by faith. In fact, anybody that followed Moses in the law was justified by faith. And anybody that follows the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the, disciples, the teaching of the disciples through the Gospels and the New Testament is justified by faith. There's nobody in heaven that justified by works because works you cannot be justified in the sight of God. Why? You'd have to be perfect. How many, how many here this morning are perfect without one sin? I didn't think I'd see any hands shoot up. If I did, I know you were lying. But we're not justified by our works. We're justified by faith in he that was perfect, impeccable, virgin-born, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who came and he died and suffered in our place the third day being resurrected from the dead. And that was God the Father's seal that of all the people that said they were the Messiah, Jesus is the one. And look to him as the way. Look to him as the truth. Because he is the only one sealed by the resurrection. And nobody else can claim that. Well, it says, Wherefore, therefore it is of faith that it might be of grace. As read, and, and it's written, in verse 17, it's written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That's Abraham. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. And call us those things which are not as though they were. That's some preaching there. Who against hope. And I like that who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. An angel came by and told this old man that he was going to have a kid and he was already past time having kids and, and, and told Sarah inadvertently because as a Many women do. They listen when they should be working. She was listening through the tent as the angel was telling that, and she giggled. Ah! And why did she laugh? I, then she lied. So not only was she listening to somebody else's conversation, then she lied about it. This girl was, I mean, you know, I mean, just wanted to point that out. So she, <laughs> but she believed, and he believed. And God did a work and, and created a nation through them. And I like verse 20. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Though unbelief was raging all around him, and but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. How does one get faith? For uh, Abraham was the father of all the believers. He's the father of faith. He's the father of, of those who believe. How do we get to be like Abraham. How do we get the faith of Abraham? Now, I believe you received not because you asked not as a born-again Christian. I do pray for the faith of Abraham. That is one of my prayers. Please give me the faith of Abraham. But I don't want to have to sacrifice my son. Or, or is that the way you get it? Well, I believe God develops in every one of his children this thing called faith. 
The Bible's full of examples from one end to the other, God's process, but it doesn't happen without some serious fear coming into your life, some pain coming into your life, some suffering coming into your life, some hardship coming into your life. And then he tells us to wait. Now, out of the list, the fear, the pain, the suffering, and the hardship, maybe the hardest of those, the fifth one is wait upon the Lord. I'm, I'm somewhat impatient. How many, all the impatient people here say amen. I remember that. But, and one element of faith is patience. Faith is not presumptuous. Faith is not impatient at all. Faith will wait against all odds that th- the thing's going to fail. Faith will wait because faith has confidence in its object. And who is the object? It's God. Verbal faith that we have in Christ. And we all start out with faith in Christ as a little baby, a little grain of a mustard seed. Oh, that we had that much faith. But we come to God in faith, believing that Jesus is the one, the way, the truth, the light. We ask him to forgive us of our sin one way or another, and we repent, and he, he bursts us by the being born from above. The Holy Spirit comes in and makes his holy of holy dwelling place in the midst of us. Know ye not that your body is the very temple of, of God? That's the born-again Christian privilege that we have, that God is here. But he doesn't just birth us and take us to heaven. He wants to build a thing called faith in us, though it starts at such a minute element, and he uses trouble. He uses afflictions. Let me ask some questions this morning. Most of you here have read your Bible enough. If you're a brand-new Christian, some of this may be a little fuzzy to you. I'll try to do my best to bring you in on it. Why was Joseph a slave in Egypt from 17 years old to 30 years old, some 13 years. Of those 13 years taken prisoner, without going into explanation because I'm just going to do the mountaintops here this morning, he was 13 years a slave in Egypt. Most of the time it seems he was in prison. He was in obscurity. He was forgotten. He was abandoned. He was criminalized. He was falsely accused. Nothing left, nothing but left to rot in this Egyptian, filthy Egyptian prison. What was that? What was God doing? Now, when I, we're going to, as I have done in the others, when I preach this, I want to do this to there. When I do this, I want all of you to say simultaneously, when I lift my hands up and go, I want you to say, miracle space. Okay, let's practice. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I'm going to, if you have a tendency to sleep through my sermons today, I don't think is a good time to do that. But why did God take this young man who wanted to do the right thing and put him in prison and put him through, and, and no words could explain what Joseph went through. He did it because of? He wanted some room to work in Joseph's life, and that was what I'm calling miracle space. It was wiggle room for God to move in his life. Now, it surely wouldn't be something I'd order. 13 years is a long time for anything, amen? 
even at my age, 13 years is a long time. Four years is not a long time at my age. Four years, like, gone. But 13 years, it's it's up there. Why was Jacob, Jacob, later named Israel, the father of the 12 tribes, a God's chosen people, why was Jacob starved out as he served God in a place where he lived and forced, as it were, because of the lack of food and the lack of provisions because of the famine that was in the land? Why in the world was he driven to move to Egypt? God was wanting to do something with the children of Israel that they could not do of themselves. God wanted to build a nation. He built from 75 people that went into Egypt. I believe he built a group of people that numbered somewhere around two or three million souls. But he did more than that. They weren't just two or three million couch potatoes. Those people had been turned into slaves to build the treasure cities for Pharaoh, which probably the remnants of those are still existent today. They had been not only that, he put them under hard bondage, the Bible says. He made them work long days, hard days, lifting, manual work. Brother, the two and a half million people that came out of Egypt weren't your couch potato folks. They were in great shape. Not only that, they knew how to build stuff. What a better group of people ready to go to the promised land to to establish themselves and to build a nation than a people that had been in slavery for that period of time. But that was God's way of? It was a space where God could build Jacob and his people that followed him from 75 to almost 3 million folks. Now, it wouldn't have been something I would have ordered. It wouldn't have been something I would want to do. Why did God allow the children of of Israel upon leaving Egypt uh, some 400 years, by the way, after Jacob went in? Is 400 years a long time? God's patient on what he's doing, isn't he? You know, sometimes we get impatient. I have people say, I prayed and it didn't happen. Stop. I prayed and it didn't happen. He put Jacob into Egypt with 75 folks, and 400, in some places, 430 years later, he has, okay, it's time to go out. That's bigger than me, and you know what? God's bigger than you, and he's bigger than me, and I can't explain him, and I can't put my arms around the thing. I can't put my mind around the thing, but you know what that causes me to do? I just trust him. I trust him. Why did he cause the children of Israel? after the ten great plagues, leaving Egypt to then go to a place where purposely God, I believe, boxed them into a no-win. You couldn't go to the north, couldn't go to the south, couldn't go to the west canyon, and the Red Sea was on their back, so they couldn't go to the east, they couldn't go to the north, they couldn't go to the south. And then he moved in the hearts of the Egyptians after they had let the children of Israel go, after they had left, they were free. Not only that, but on the way out, he moved in the hearts of the Egyptians. Ladies, this will be a good one. All of the Egyptian women said, let's give all of our trinkets and our gold and our jewels to these Jewish women Maybe they will leave because you understand at that time, everybody had lost a firstborn. I'm talking about a firstborn of the family, firstborn of their cattle, firstborn of their dogs, firstborn of their cats. 
all firstborn in, in the whole land of Egypt, not except for the children of Israel's firstborn. And they picked that up and they said, if these people don't leave us, we all are dead people. And they, the Bible says that God caused the children of Israel to literally plunder Egypt. They took their stuff, not taking it. They were giving it. Offer this to, the, to Jehovah God in the desert. Uh, because the Bible says over and over again, those, a lot of those things that were done through the ten plagues is that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And at the end of that thing, the Egyptians believed that not Ra, the sun god, because every one of those plagues attacked one of the major gods of Egypt, and one at a time, God cut those gods down and cut those gods down till finally he cut that last one down, and there was no other god but Jehovah God, and they plundered the children of now, they gave them all their gold and everything. Then they got in a room, it looks like to me, and they sat down and looked at each other and goes, who's going to mow my lawn? Who's going to clean my house? Who's going who's to farm? Who's going to raise the sheep? Who's going to do all this? We let all of our people go. We got rid of them. Now we got to do it. I got an idea. Let's go back and get them. The Bible says they gathered their army, over 600 chariots, and they gathered, I believe, everything they had because it was important to them, and they began to pursue the, the children of Israel, and as they began to pursue them, God himself allowed them to be boxed in a no-win situation. Now remember, the children of Israel were not warriors. They were farmers. They were brick makers. They were city builders. They weren't warriors. The Egyptians were the warriors. They are the ones with the, with the chariots and everything. So after seeing these, plague, these ten plagues happen and everything, he says to the children of Israel, you're going to see my power once and for all be put upon these Egyptians. Let's read it for our own sake quickly. I know there's a few verses, but let's read Exodus chapter 14. Let me quickly read verse 4 through 14 because I want this to sink deeply into your mind. He said, I will harden, in verse 4 of chapter 14 of Exodus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt, the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh, the servants was turned against the people, and they said, what have we done this? We have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready their chariot. He took the people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt, captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them. And all the horses and the chariots of, of Pharaoh and his horsemen, his army, overtook them encamping by the sea uh, beside... Uh, Pronounce it any way you want to. <laughs> and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. They said unto Moses, and boy, the leader, it's all the leader's fault. Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us and carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee while we were in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? 
For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Doesn't sound like the words of Patrick Henry to me. Give me liberty or give me death. You tell these people we're not Americans. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen this day, you shall see them again no more. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. In another place it says you'll see the body of the soldiers floating up on the shore. What was that, folks? Look up here. That was God building faith in these folks through trouble. Why did God allow the children of Israel, once they got out into the wilderness, to go without water? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Now, wait a minute, God. You ask these people to come and follow you. You put them out into the desert, and then you don't give any water. What do they do? I believe that some of these people were Baptists. Because right away they began to complain. In Exodus chapter 17, it says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? You know what God was doing? God wanted them to realize that even their basic necessities of life were from him. God wanted them to know that you need him for water. And let me tell you this morning, it is exactly the same as it was then. Don't you take for granted the water that you drink. The only reason you got water that's clean to drink is because God Almighty said so. I've gone to a lot of meetings at our county commission level about the mines that were wanting to come out into the east part of our water reservoir where we get all of our drinking water and dig 100-foot holes. And, and, and the, the issue was the future and water. If an area doesn't have good water to drink, then people won't come. And if people don't come, you don't have tourism. You don't have tourism. You don't have prosperity. That was the conversation. And the reason we have good water is because God Almighty has blessed us with good water. When you go out of here this afternoon about 1 o'clock, I want you to you to drink a sip of water and say, thank you, Jesus. Even chicken, when he takes him a little drink, lifts his head up to heaven and says, thank you, Lord. Why did God feed the children of Israel honey biscuits? Why did he do that? Called, they looked at it and said, this is angel's food. Manna, what is it? He was teaching them that even the food was there because of him. Do you have that lesson? Have you got it? God may cause you to go without food for a while because of 
He's trying to get you to realize that all things come from Him. It gives God. Let me tell you, when you get into trouble where you don't have something to eat, I can guarantee you as a born-again Christian, God engineered that to be that way so that you will look upward, not sideways, but you'll look vertically and say, God, help me. Faith. He's building faith in you through the need, through the miracle space. Why did God have the 12 spies go into the land and ever ask yourself this and see giants? Well, they saw the fruit of the land. I don't like to have seen those grapes, to be honest with you. I just like to have seen those. I think they were steroid growing grapes. I mean, it took two people to carry them. Come on, brother. And they brought those grapes back. And they saw good things. The land indeed flows with milk and honey, just like you told us it did. But there are giants in the land. And we looked in our sight, in their sight, like we were little grasshoppers. And they're men that have learned war from their childhood. And we are city builders. The truth is we need to, and they needed to stop looking at the giants and start looking at God. And that's why God created some. He created a miracle space with the giants. He brought the giants so that they would learn that they needed him. Here's the way this works. Unbelief puts giants between you and God. Faith puts God between you and the giants. You can go to... As a, as a born-again Christian, God's main goal for you and for me is to teach us that He is God and there is none else. Not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. You say, oh, that's easy to learn. No, no, it's not easy to learn. That's a lifetime endeavor by God. When all hope is gone, when there is no solution, when all human effort fails, the impossible is in front of you, staring you in the eyes. It is, it's God's miracle space. It's God allowing you a moment where you're insecure. It's God allowing you a moment when you cannot rely upon your ingenuity, upon your ability, upon your 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 talents. Why did Jesus in the in the gospels send his disciples into a storm? Now wait a minute. Jesus knew the thoughts of man. He knew there was a storm coming. So he launches out, he's in the boat with him. But it's interesting in that story that that he says that he fell he fell fast asleep in the back of the boat. I've been, in, I've been in a storm, and I've been in a boat when I thought we were all going to die. My dad, used, my dad said this, Marine, you'll appreciate this. My dad said on the island in the foxholes there were no atheists. Now, some of them had foxhole faith. As soon as they got saved, they didn't care about God anymore. But while they were in the foxhole and the people were yelling for their mothers, he said they were all real religious. You have Jesus and these disciples. These are old fishermen, remember. And they, the Bible says a storm comes down. It comes down from the north to the Sea of Galilee. And because of the mountains like this, it funnels that wind down. And that, that Sea of Galilee is very deep. 
and the waves can get large and they're close together. You people that are nautical understand large and close together is the formula for death. And the Bible says the ship was filled with water so that they were ready to sink. Now this is in the opinion of people who spent their life in those boats. Esther, careth thou not that we perish? It was miracles. Don't you think he fell fast asleep? He knew it was coming. Why did God let them get in a perilous situation like that? He says, oh, you, and how many times he's talked to me this way. Oh, you of little faith. I'm ashamed of myself. He got up, Bible says, rebuke the wind, and he rebuked the waves. He didn't just rebuke the wind and say, peace be still. He rebuked the waves. Be calm. Bible says a sudden calm came upon them. And they said to themselves, what manner of man is this? What was God doing? Building their faith. He's faith building. He's faith building. Miracle space. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Have you ever asked yourself on that scene where it talks about him walking on the water, Peter leaving the boat? I'm not going to talk about that today. What I want to talk about is the Sea of Galilee is a big place. He could have walked around them. He could have walked by them. He could have walked invisibly where they didn't see him. But the point was, the reason for that was that he wanted them to see him and be afraid and appear as maybe a ghost walking on the water. He was trying to build faith in them, even to the place where you can walk on water. Now, these are old fishermen. Imagine Peter getting out there. I don't think he did that. I think Peter just jumped over, man. If I know him much, a little bit about Peter's personality, I think Peter was off the side of the boat towards Jesus. But then the Bible says he began to look around. And boy, what happens to you and I? We get in a situation. As long as we're looking to Jesus, we're good. We start looking around. We begin to sink. Finally, he says, Lord, save me. Jesus grabs him, saves him. Thank God for his mercy and our lack of faith sometimes. God's not trying to kill us. He didn't take the children of Israel out into the wilderness to slay them. He took them out there to build them. And that's exactly why you get in situations like that. And some of you are in those situations. Some of you have been in those situations. Some of you are getting out of those situations. And some of you this morning, including myself, very likely, are going in to another one of those situations. Why? Remember that. Remember when, when you lose everything in the stock market. Don't blame the broker. Don't blame the preacher. How could you blame the preacher for losing money in the stock market? You'll figure out. <laughs> A few years ago, I told people, boy, bank stock's good, bank stock's good. And they came to me and some other guys said, oh, bank stock's good. What a deal. We Both of us invested and lost it all. At least he couldn't be mad at me. Why, why does God let that happen? Miracle space. 
Why does God let you find out? And the doctor takes an x-ray and says, I see a little shadow there. Let me go look at it. And it comes back and says, ooh, you got cancer. Why? God may take one of your children in death. They may have some sort of a mental a deficiency. They could be born Down syndrome. They may even be taken through cancer or some other. Why does God do that? God may cause you to get disabled by some disease for years and years and years and years and years and years. What is God doing? All what is God doing? Don't blame God. Understand that He is working faith in these things and through these things. If you will not get bitter at Him, if you get bitter, you lose that. What happened to the children of Israel that did not exercise faith in Christ? And faith in God, Jehovah God in the wilderness, they got bitter. And when they got bitter, they died in the wilderness and never saw the promised land, did they? God is beginning to build in in you faith so that you'll trust Him. He wants some working room so He can be strong in your behalf. But you have to give it to him. You have to let it happen. You have to trust him. You have to blindly lean upon Jesus Christ. You have to take your hands off of your of the handlebars. I'm an old motorcycle guy. Once in a while I'm riding my motorcycle and everything's just right. The temperature's right. That's rare, by the way, riding a motorcycle. It's always too cold, too hot. Once in a while, where's Bill and Billy at? Once in a while, it hits just ding, 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 ding. The temperature's perfect. The bike's running perfect. Everything sounds good. That is if you have a Harley. And everything's going. The scenery's fabulous. You know, everything's just matching together, everything. And once in a while, I just take my hands off the bars and let it ride because a Harley will ride straight like that. And I take my hands off the bars and just raise it up to God and say, Glory, this is a moment. But I've had times in my own life when God has brought something into me that I've tried to grab a hold, and the harder I tried to grab a hold of it, the worse it got. Finally, I said, God, it's yours. You take it. I submit to you. I just take some people coming to my office, and they're hanging on to the things so hard, and they're trying to make it happen, and they're trying to con- connive it to happen or, or just move it and manipulate it to happen. And I'll tell them, look, look, just take your hand off the bar like on a roller coaster, as you get ready to go up the top, just take your hand off the bar and scream all the way down. But trust God. Why? Miracle space. God wants some space to move in your life. Will you let him? Will you let him? I know already people in this room are in a trial, a testing. The Bible says in James, we're supposed to be rejoice at the testing or trial of our faith. Now, you know, I got to admit you, I got to admit, when I'm in a fetal position with a migraine, and I'm basically in the same moment, I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom all day because I'm throwing up from being sick because of the pain, and you can't take anything because of the pain and because of the throwing up, and you can't keep anything down, and you just think, you're, how are you going to live through this? It's kind of hard to be, oh, thank you, Lord. But it's possible. It's possible to breathe a little prayer that says, if this is what it takes to be a Christian, thank you, Father. 
this is what it takes to be the kind of Christian you want me to be. Thank you. I know God cares about the hairs of your head. I know that he doesn't see a sparrow that doesn't fall without his notice. And I know that there's not a Christian in here that's insignificant to him. Every one of you is his prize. You've been bought by his blood. Let him work. Don't get bitter. Don't blame people around you. Whatever happens, don't blame the preacher. You hear my name coming up in your conversation too much. You know what's going on. Moses! Oh, was he popular? Father, help us to see what it means to have you work in our life, to understand it is of faith. It is of faith by grace so that it may be sure. Father, we ask you that you'd explain this better than I could. The Holy Spirit would come, and it, may it be a blessing to me as it was to, may it be a blessing to these folks as it was to me so many years ago. May, may it change the perspective of some folks here the way it changed my perspective. May it be a little handle on the cup that they can grab a hold of in a time of trouble. May it help people not to question God. May it help people not to blame God. But to realize that through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. And I've learned to trust in God. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.